0: Good morning, everyone. Our key scripture this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 2. So, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up there. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, I'm going to make a statement to you this morning that soo- is gonna sound a little bit weird, but stick with me for a moment. I'm really looking forward to dying. Now, there are a lot of ways to interpret that statement. Um, and don't worry, I did take my medication this morning. <laughs> but in this life, that statement is a scary statement. And if someone were to come up to you and to say, I'm really looking forward to dying. I can't wait to die. You would be concerned for them. Uh, We have safeguards and things in place to help people not think about dying. Because in this life, that's the worst thing that can happen to you, right? Is that it ends. And that it's all over. This world is afraid of death. Because death puts an end to everything that this life has to offer. But I'm looking forward to dying. And the reason why I am looking forward to dying is that I believe that there is something better than this place. I believe there is something better than this world. I believe that there is something better than this life. Fear takes the uncertainty of death and it fills us with this feeling that gnaws at our insides and hollows us out. It immobilizes us and can cause us to make decisions we would never make on an average day as a means to protect ourselves and to save this life. But we are not people of fear. We are a people of hope. And hope takes this same uncertainty about the end and fills us with a feeling that maybe we can't really explain at the time, but hope tells us that there is indeed more. That someday all of the suffering and pain and struggle and hardship of this life is going to go away. And we will be with our God forever. And this is an idea that has been important to God's people from almost the very beginning. And Isaiah spoke to God's people about a time when they would no longer be scattered to the wind, when they would no longer be oppressed by others, where there would be no more war. But instead, the the, the city of God would be raised up, and everyone will flock to that place to worship God. That they would be restored and whole once again. That they would be the people of God. And the promise that we have today is even better than that. Because through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, God has promised us that there is a place with him. So we are not afraid of this life ending. Amen? Amen. We might even look forward to it because there is something better waiting for us. All right, kids. It's time for Children's Church in class. Right. You guys know where to go. <laughs> Welcome to the season of Advent. Uh, We celebrate Advent together as a church family every year in an effort to draw us deeper uh, into the world-changing arrival of Jesus here on earth. And when I was growing up, uh, as I'm sure was the same for for most of you, uh, we talked about the birth of Jesus on the Sunday right before Christmas. And that was about it. Uh, So, The beautiful thing I think about us celebrating Advent together is that we get to spend a whole month reflecting on uh, all that the coming of Jesus means to us and to this world. And uh, Advent, for those of you who maybe haven't uh, celebrated it before, it always starts in the same place. Um, The first morning, we light the candle of hope and we reflect on uh, the great hope that Jesus brings to a world that is hurting and lost. Uh, But then we turn our eyes to the greater spiritual story that Jesus is a part of. Uh, We recognize that the birth, life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus are leading us to the end. uh, That God has in mind. The redemption of his people and their eternal life with him. So it's a little funny, that you start uh, you start talking about Advent and Christmas and the birth of Jesus by talking about how everything is going to come to a close, uh, but we recognize that that God sent Jesus here to redeem so that one day everyone who believe in Him, everyone who believes in Him may go home to live with their God forever, and we recognize that Jesus came as a baby to lead us to a very specific end. Uh, So today, we look at the end of the story, and when I think about uh, the end of the story that God is is writing, I I have to sort of think about my life and what I live my life for. Uh, What what goes into me making the choices and decisions and things that I make on an everyday basis? And, and I recognize that there are a lot of different answers to this question, what do you live your life for, with many qualifiers and explanations. And at its core, that question, what do you live your life for, is about what motivates us at the center of who we really are. Why do we, why do, we do the things that we do? Uh, What is our major motivating factor? What informs our decisions and leads us down the paths that we choose? So there are a lot of possible answers to this question. I know that all of us feel pressure because we are here at church to say, God, I live my life for God. Jesus, Jesus is the right answer, right? I, I know, but when I actually do think about my life, and I mean, keep in mind, I'm a professional Christian, all right? When I think about my life and I think about, Everything that goes into my everyday, there are so many factors that play into the choices that I make and the things that I do. I mean, maybe your life is dominated by your career or your house payment or uh, your retirement or your next big plan. Uh, And and when I think about all the things that sort of come into my decision making, I, I recognize that there is a mixture of a lot of things that are kind of stewing together, that motivate me and drive me in everything that I do. But we all, we all do live for something, and the truth is that there is so much to live for right now. There are so many things that demand our attention right now. There are so many things that pull at us right now that it is difficult for us to live with the end of everything in mind. Um, I might have shared this with you before, I don't know, but our culture actually puts this message out there that we should live with the end in mind. My least favorite kind of commercials are retirement commercials. And uh, they scare me a little bit. I try not to look them in the eyes. Uh, There are so many retirement commercials on TV, and they are all engineered with one purpose in mind. They want to make you nervous. They want to make you nervous. And and the reason why they want to make you nervous is um, they want you to put your money in certain places or, you know, in certain things. They want you to invest with them. They want you to use their services. And so the whole point of retirement commercials is to convince you that whatever you're doing is not enough. That's the whole point. Um, I, I remember, do you remember the commercials where people were walking around with these numbers over their heads? Do you remember that? Yeah? I don't think I've seen that one for a while. Uh, but that, that entire thing, I would look at these numbers over these people's heads and think, holy cow, like those are big numbers. <laughs> like is that really what it, no? but, but think about it, right? As someone who is writing these, you want all those numbers to be big. You want them to be big because they want you sitting there uh, talking to your television Right? To not look at that and say, oh man, that is a really reasonable number. I reached that number when I was 45. Right? They don't want you to think that. They want you to look at that and say, dear Lord, I am nowhere near where I need to be. I must invest with this company now because they're going to make my magic number bigger. But they do know something that is pretty simple. And what they know and what these things project is this, uh, that if you, you won't plan for your future if you're totally wrapped up in your right now. And so they try to get you to think about how much money you're going to have and what you want to do when you retire. And they have to convince me that my future is actually more important than my right now and that I then need to change how I live right now and what I do right now so that I can have the future that I think I deserve, whether that's, uh, you know, the ridiculous things they suggest like, you know, oh, you want to buy a vineyard or, you know, finally get that hot air balloon that you've been dying to have your whole life. So these commercials are manipulative, but they present us with an interesting challenge. Are you willing to change the way that you live right now because you believe in a certain future? So how does keeping the end in mind change our present? Well, this morning, one of the things that I think we have to recognize as we start into Advent is that this world and this place is temporary. We have... A future with our God in the home that he has made for us and that is what God calls us to live for is to live with the end in mind but how does living for the future that God has for us change what we do now I mean if we say I am living for God then what does that mean are we really living for God or are we living how we want to live and calling it living for God. Here's an even worse question. You're going to hate this one. Do we know the difference between living for God and what we call living for God? Now, the Bible is full of warnings about this particular issue. Um, It's full of messages that are telling us to live with the end in mind and to not be concerned or fooled by the concerns of the present. Uh, Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up there this morning. They'll be on the screen behind me as well. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is speaking here, and it's starting in verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself... What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is just a lovely story that Jesus tells here. I read it to my kids every night before bed. Um, I don't like this particular story. Uh, It seems so I don't know, cold-hearted. Why doesn't God, go to this man and simply try to correct his point of view. Why does he just take his life? And, and This man was blessed by God, but he made a crucial mistake within the story. He, he took all that blessing and wanted to use it for himself, and he wanted to invest everything where? In right now. In this place. And he got so caught up that he forgot about God who had given him these things. And so he decided to tear down his old barns and build bigger ones that would be monuments to his wealth and blessing. Bigger barns. And this story, why I think I really don't like it, is that it perfectly illustrates for us how easily we can get off track. How easily we can forget the end of the story as we live for our present And this story, I I don't like it because it reminds me of myself. I see myself in it. I, I see myself wanting a bigger barn. And I see myself wanting to be able to fill that bigger barn with stuff so that I can have the life here that I think I want. And God, in this story, Reminds this person in this really harsh way that this place is not what it's about. I think we have a hard time with these kinds of passages because, again, it's it's a little bit too reflective of us. There are other passages that are probably coming to mind. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 21 is one that probably comes to your head. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I know what this passage is talking about, and I agree with it wholeheartedly, but here is my struggle— am I doing what this passage and others like it tell me to do or am I adapting it or even ignoring it to make it more comfortable for me? When it tells me not to store up treasures on earth, I mean, I can answer that question in a lot of different ways. Well, yeah, but I got to have a car and I got to have a house and we have to have TV and I have to have that thing in my house that I can just talk to and it turns my lights on and off oh, I'm going to put one in my office too. That's true. (laughs) I agree with it, but am I doing what it tells me to do? Am I building bigger barns, or am I looking forward to the place that God has for me? And maybe, so maybe just to put it more simply, like this the struggle that I think I have with these ideas in these passages is it makes me ask the question am I am I really in love with with right now? And is right now motivating me more than my future with with God? And how do I create balance? What do I do? What does living with the future in mind, how does that change me? Now, the thing is, this struggle that I have, I know it's unique to me, but just use your imaginations. It's something that we come by honestly because we have always, humanity has always been in love with right now. It's not something that is new to us and it's not something that we invented. It's not wasn't new in the time of Jesus. Humanity has shown an impressive resolve to live for right now and not paying any attention to the future that God has for us. In the time of the prophet Isaiah, the people of God were fractured because they chose to live for their present instead of their future. And their present overwhelmed them and turned them away from God. They split the nation in two. Ten of the tribes to the north were gone. The south was headed in the same direction. The relationship between God and his people was fractured and disintegrated so much that Isaiah was just ready for God to be done with them. And listen to his words from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. It's pretty rough, right? But when Isaiah looks out, At the people of God. Keep in mind, the only reason they exist as a people and as a nation is because God formed them and called them out. God has given them everything they have, the land that they live on, all that they have is from God. And what have they done? They have looked around at what everyone else does and they have adopted all of those things, they have formed their own gods and worship those things, and do they have a lot of stuff? Yes! They have huge barns. But what have they given up in order to have that? They are so far from God that Isaiah says, just let them go. Just let them go. Don't forgive them because they don't deserve to be forgiven. Now, So it's an old problem, and it didn't go away with the coming of Jesus. I mean, make no mistake about it, Jesus changed the world and the world's perception of God. He forcibly drew people to see a God who works and loves and heals now, a God who restores and forgives now, a God who is very much active and alive in the lives of his people, a God who does care about the suffering and the pain and the things that we have to deal with in this place. And and those that were suffering and hurting and dealing with these things, they responded to Jesus in overwhelming numbers because they wanted this God to love them and restore them and heal them, and Jesus did all of those things. He showed them a God, in fact, who was willing to die in order to be in relationship with them. And in the crucified and risen Jesus, the love of God was fully revealed for all to see. But even in the beginnings of the church, this group of people, they lost sight of the future. And Paul, as he wrote to this group in Rome, he had to remind them of what they should be living for. From Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Paul wrote, And do this, "'Understanding the present time, "'the hour has already come for you "'to wake up from your slumber "'because our salvation is nearer now "'than when we first believed. "'The night is nearly over, "'the day is almost here, "'so let us put aside the deeds of darkness "'and put on the armor of light. "'Let us behave decently "'as in the daytime, "'not in carousing and drunkenness, "'not in sexual immorality and debauchery, "'not in dissension and jealousy. "'Rather clothe yourselves "'with the Lord Jesus Christ.' And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I mean, Paul says some things here that we're used to hearing from the Bible, right? Do not do this. Do not associate with this. But there's a powerful message that he gives to these people here, and it comes at the start. What does he tell them to do? Wake up. Now, why does Paul think they need to wake up? I mean, if they're waking up, then they if they need to wake up, then they must be asleep. And when we're sleeping, what do we do? A lot of times we dream, but we live in a world that is what? We're not, right? We live in this world that's not real. And when we wake up, where are we? We're in reality. We're in the real world. Another day has started. So understand what Paul is saying to them. You need to wake up because the life you are living now is not the real life. The world you are in now is not the real world. You need to wake up and live for what is real and what is coming. Open your eyes. Don't live for right now. Live for the future because Jesus is coming soon. And every moment that passes, in our lives, takes us closer to the return of Jesus. So live, get this, like you actually expect him to come back. Live like it's real. But we forget, right? I mean, don't we get caught up in everything that needs to be done? Don't we get caught up in all the stuff that has to happen? We have a problem, and and it's, you know, I, I I think that we really want to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, but maybe if we're just really honest with ourselves, we like life here. And there are so many good things. And when you live this life here in life is good and you are surrounded by so many good things, well, then the, pro- the promise of eternal life and something that's better becomes like, like an idea. This thing that someday will happen rather than something that we're like waiting for. We are easily distracted and sidetracked and this life is so overwhelming and requires so much attention that it takes over and it becomes what we live for. And when it becomes what we live for, we just settle in and we focus on our concerns and needs and we plan for our future here. And we get all these things together so we can live the life we want here. And though we would never admit it, because this just feels too drastic. We become comfortable and locked in and we're not we're not restless or eager for God to come back. We're not eager for it to be over. And if, if we don't have any sense of restlessness with this life, when we don't long for more, when we, don't, when we don't believe that what God has is really better for us than this place, we lose touch with something deep inside of us, which is this longing for forever. And why do we need the home that God promised us when we are perfectly content with the home we have now? uncomfortable. Jesus knows this about us, so he has a simple warning. From Matthew 24 verses 36 through 44. But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left." Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Again, a really encouraging scripture from Jesus. But it's interesting, you know, when we read this passage, and I've I've already kind of given you the answer, I think. Uh, when we read this passage, how do we most often interpret it? I I call it a warning, right? It feels ominous. It feels like. <laughs> it, it feels like you know Jesus is really coming in heavy here with this stuff, and and he is. I mean, listen to what he says. He says, look, God destroyed the earth with a flood, right? Guess what everyone was doing the day before it started raining? They were eating, they were drinking, they were getting married. There were babies being born. Life was going on just like normal. But what happened? You guys feel that? What is that? There's more. I can't swim. I, I mean, the world changed. And, and, and they didn't see it coming. They, they didn't know it was coming, but it did change. And, and then Jesus says, well, it's going to be like that. I mean, there will be two people in the field, and one will be taken and the other left. Now, what is it that makes these two people different? Why does one go and the other stays? One is ready, and the other is not. One is living their lives for right now. The other is living their life for the future. But here's the funny thing about this passage, and I know this passage is actually, to us, shouldn't be scary at all. You know why? Because we should be excited about the fact that this is going to happen. I, don't get me wrong, not excited that someone's going to be left behind. I told you, sucker, right? No. But excited that Jesus is coming back. That the future that God has promised us is real. That, that these things are going to happen and we are going to go to our forever, and I actually, when I look at this through these eyes, it tells me, man, you know, I could live to take care of all these things right now, but isn't it better to live for the future? Isn't it better to live my life as, as if I know that this is happening and to be ready for Jesus to come back? Only someone who doesn't want to leave this place would get mad that Jesus would come without warning. You know what I'm saying? Only someone who is living for here would get upset that they don't know when it's going to happen. But the one who is living for the future will want to be ready and will live to be ready because they will be, they want their real life and the promised life to begin. So, I don't have a lot of easy answers for us in terms of how, how we live our, our future now. But I know that something fundamental has to change. If I'm, if I'm going to live my life for the future that God has for me, then it has to change what I do and how I do it and why I do it now. And I think, at least for me, The thing that I have to do is not allow myself to be fooled by this place. Let me give you an example of this. Um, can you bring up the, the picture? This is a car. Um, it's a very expensive car. Uh, this is a 2012 Bentley Continental GTC. Um, it retailed brand new for $200,000. It's beautiful, it's fancy, it's a lie. Do you know why it's a lie? Bonnie, would you go to the next picture? This is what the interior of the car looks like. It is actually a 2003 Chrysler Sebring LXI convertible that someone took all of the body panels off of and made it look on the outside like it's a Bentley. But the interior of the car, the engine of the car, the frame of the car is a Chrysler Sebring LXI convertible. Now, at the time, you could buy this car, which is a Chrysler on the inside and a Bentley on the outside for (laughs) $20,000, which is a little bit less. And here's why I love these pictures. It is such a perfect illustration for the world that we live in. On the outside, how does it look? Great. Bigger barns, baby. Bigger barns. But on the inside, it's a Chrysler Sebring. It's not a Bentley. And I look at this and I realize I can get so caught up in the outside and how it looks and how it appears and how it's going to make me look and what people are going to think and all those different things, but... Why would I give it all (laughs) to own something that's not real? To own something that's not worth having. Church, my eyes have to be open. This world is a wonderful place. And God has blessed us with wonderful things in this place. He created this world for us and he gifts us with so many things. But the fact of the matter is that this world is not home to me. This world is not home to me and it's not home to you either. Do you know why? Because God has something better for you. God has something better for you. A home, a place, a room with your name on it. And we are called to live today like we know the future is coming. We are called To love others in a way that shows we know Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer. We are called to give and love and be generous because we are not living for this place. And it's not about how much we can get and how much we can have. We know that this is all going to pass away. And that... (laughs) is a good thing. It's a good thing that we don't have to live here forever. It's a good thing that when we leave here, we go home. It's a good thing that there is an eternity with God. And it's a miraculous thing that this God wants to spend eternity with us. Amen. Amen? We have a promise of a great future with God, a home that he has made for us. So let us not for a second be blinded by our present. Let's not get caught up in everything that has to happen here. Let's not forget that what we live for is beyond this place. And let's look to the horizon, our hearts anxious for the sun to set, knowing that God has a new day for us. Amen? Let's pray. God, we want to look forward to the return of Jesus. We don't want to be caught up in this place, but we are so easily distracted. There are so many things that demand our attention here. But God, may we live as those who know that Jesus is returning. May we live as those who know that this is place is just a tent and that you have a home for us. God, will you show us the ways that we need to begin living for the future? Will you help us to not be blinded by today? And may we be ready, not out of fear, but out of great joy and anticipation for you to come and take us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have any needs for prayers or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you in this amazing way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.